from Grooveview Studios in Columbus, Ohio, this is Getting the Brand Back Together, a podcast exploring the interdisciplinary art of banding, branding, and business building. Rock and roll relic, poet, writer, and brandist, I'm your host, Brad Cerconi. Today, we're joined by Don Nixon, principal at The Creative Spot. Welcome to the show, Don. Thanks, Brad. Glad to be here. So we were just talking before the show of the trials and tribulations of the agency business, right? You, like me, have a similar background in the entertainment business. Correct. Why don't you tell the listeners here in Columbus kind of what you were doing in the music scene, let's just say when the grunge era was beginning, right? You were both an artist and then you worked for a prominent brand here locally, right? That's correct. Yeah. So uh, I was at Ohio State University and always loved music, always loved singing, but was petrified to do it. Actually, a good thing in a fraternity, not all the bad things you hear today, right. but a good a good relationship I found four very close friends, very dear friends. One of them who played guitar and was a great musician in any way said, uh, hey, you got a pretty good voice. And I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm scared to death to sing in front of everybody, right? <laughs> Welcome, to the, said, club. Right, right. Welcome I, to the club. And, and uh, part of that was, you know, just in high school, I would always sing in the car and people were like, shut up, stop right, singing. Right, right. You know, you're, you're annoying the hell out of me, right? And so I was afraid to sing because I, I, I thought it wasn't any good. And so he worked with me and uh, got me out of the closet, so to speak. And we started playing at late night parties and we played covers like the Black Crows and... Guns and Roses. And just as that went on, we got stronger. I got stronger. I felt more comfortable. And we eventually, the other three guys in the band, we we formed and we played a party at our fraternity house. And that was the first time we rented a PA. The cops came in and shut us down at one o'clock. We were in bare feet. We were drunk. And uh, we had a good we had a good crowd and we were playing just like five cover songs, right? And so we got to play like three of them before they shut us down. Right, but right. anyway, that that transpired into that that band and we wrote a lot of our own music and we also did a lot of covers. But to your answer your question about the grunge, that was when it was all coming out. Right, so right. we were super influenced. Uh, we're young kids, 18, 19 years old, and there's this magical moment in music. Yeah where this stuff is just coming out left and right. And, yeah, and, and what years are we talking about? Uh, 91, 90, 91, 92, right. 93. The band was together until about 95. Okay, yeah. so this is the, and I think I was in Seattle by then because we were signed on Geffen. They courted us. They signed us in 87. We put out a record in 88. We put out another record in 91. And then I was probably off doing the marketing spiel. I would only do it if we were in Seattle. Right. Because that's when all that was happening, right? It's incredible. I mean, Nirvana yeah. was, as everyone was saying, and I still believe was with, you know, Cobain was the, the next Beatles. I, I agree. You couldn't hear it. You couldn't hear it. Yep. You could hear it. So you guys were inspired by that. Absolutely. Yep. And we were inspired by the London calling on, really. Mm-hmm. You know, so almost a decade ahead of you. Right. First time I heard The Clash, I remember doing homework. I think I was a senior. And I said, I was listening to Police and Thieves or something. And I said, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. I got to run downstairs. The Clash. clash. Yeah. I got to run downstairs. I got to turn this off. Halfway down the steps. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm wrong. This is the best thing I've ever heard. That day changed my life. Ironically, I got later to meet Joe Strummer at Vets. Oh, my gosh. My ex-girlfriend still must have had the liking of me because she (laughs) gave me her backstage pass and I sat on the back and I had combat boots on. Guy sits next to me. His boot is swinging right in the rhythm of my boot. I look up. It's Joe Strummer. 
I go, what the hell? <laughs> and he is drinking coffee. And I, so I asked him, I said, well, what do you got there? And I can't do an English accent. Our bass player, Greg, does not great, so I'm not going to try. <laughs> and he said, uh, uh, I got some coffee with a spike. And the spike I learned later was Guinness. Uh, in his coffee. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. After the show. This is right after the show. Interesting. Yeah. And so he's signing all these. He refused to sign a piece of paper. He was giving people autographed tattoos. So it was really cool. He was signing. They, he like lift up their shirt and do a cool Joe Strummer, The Clash cursive. And I was, of course, enamored with just the idea of move your shirt sleeve up so I can right. write right on you. Right, right. But he would ask each person that he signed about them. It was the most caring thing I had ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I was thought, my God, it's such an intimate yeah. relationship with his, the people who love the class, right? So he did, he said something to me like, do you want anything? And I said, no, but I have a question when you're done. He said, all right. So I was there for like a half an hour, just sitting next to him. Watching him. Yeah. Sign people. Yeah, sign yes. people. So I said, yeah, I got one question. He goes, what's that? And I said, um, I've got a band. And he goes, oh. And he was very nice, very humble. He goes, oh, well, who's that? And I said, well, the name of him is The Toll. And he turns to me in this slow British accent, because I am seriously shoulder to shoulder. And he says, that's a good name, but it's not better than The Clash. (laughs) (laughs) I said, yes, sir. You're right. It's not. You're damn right. (laughs) It's not. And when you say it with the Guinness bean breath on me, it's really not. (laughs) So... Anyway, I said, well, he said, what's your question? I said, my question is, how do I get started? A lot of the reason I was interested in doing this, where I am, you know, with my agency, the things that I've been able to, been fortunate enough to experience in entertainment, not that I was, we were ever successful, only that we got a record deal for two albums mm-hmm. and had a good time doing it. And successful. Could, and could express ourselves. Yeah. I said, how do I make it? And he says, oh, and I've now, I've, so I've probably been there 40 minutes. And he says, oh, that's easy. You just go to the biggest badass city in the world and play till someone notices you. And I said, notices me doing what? He says, I don't know. That's for you to determine. But you'll know when they notice you. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to meet the Psychedelic Furs, how we got to CBGBs. And really, in the long story, is how we got a record deal. So you mm-hmm. get the police after three songs. You're kicked out. Mm-hmm. You then start this band. Yes. You guys play original tunes. Yes. And you do this for how long? The name of the band? My Mother's Creation. That's right. I didn't pick it. I don't, I don't mind it. I, I, and you know I'm picky about brand names and are. band names. It was okay. Yeah. But then people started calling us MMC, which was like Mickey Mouse Club, and that did not fly with no. me at all. Well, you could just... Not you rock and roll. You yeah. could have done the Ramones thing like Gabba Gabba Hey and uh, just wore big ears. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that made me we might have made, we might have made it. We might have made it then. We might have made it then. <laughs> All right. So yeah, you do that for a while. Yeah, I do that for a while. And then what happens? Well, so we we do that for a while. We we play mostly colleges because we were connected with friends, and so we we travel all over Ohio. We were we probably play seven eight nights a, a month. You know, being in school and which keeping up good. school, which is good. The highlight of that was uh, we got asked to open up for this new band that was coming to town because at this point. I had started working for the promoter. I had I was an intern there. Right. I was so into music and I so wanted to learn anything and everything I could about music, no matter what it was. I was a marketing major at Ohio State. So I, I basically flyered High Street. That was my main job as an intern. 
And um, it's important. It is. It was because you know you'd, you'd run up there, and by the time you got back, your flyers were covered over. Right. I know. So you know, I, I mean, you know the, the, the battle of the flyers on I high do. street. Yeah. I do. Yeah. But anyway, so real quick though, we um, he said, hey, you guys want to open up for uh, this band that's coming to town? They're new. And I said, uh, we said, sure. At the Newport? You're kidding me. We had never played the Newport. Yeah. That was, that was a dream. Woo. That was a dream. You know. And uh, I said, it's a hundred dollars and a case of beer. I said, done, sold. I didn't even care. I didn't even care who it was. No, the Newport. The That's Newport. what you were in. The brand. And I said, uh, I said, who's the band? I saw this band called Collective Soul. And I, I don't know who they were. And no, no, no sooner that I had gotten home and I walked in on MTV, there was they a are. video for Shine was on. And uh, my bass player goes, hey, I think these are the guys we're opening up for. <laughs> for a hundred bucks. <laughs> for a hundred bucks. We, had, we were thinking there's going to be a hundred people there, right? So we walk in, I pull back the curtain. Oh, no, it's packed. It's got yeah. 1,400. It's fire marshal. It's wall. fire marshal. It's wall to wall. It, it was. And we just all turned white. Yeah. I think. Because now we're not the frat boys playing at the party. It changed the game right there, right, right then real quickly. So we all went up and drank a couple of beers and we're just looking at the wall and we went down and we played... One of the best shows we've ever played. See, there you go. And it was incredible. That's awesome. And we had, um, we hung out with the band afterwards and it just felt like one of those rock star moments. You're like, yeah. you never forget that. All right, right. Never. So um, you're talking about the music. So we did that for a while. We, we had the band for a while. And then uh, I went into, I got offered a full-time position at Promo West. Um, awesome. Operations and production manager. So, yeah. Which you reigned terror there for four or five years. That's after <laughs> I had broken everything in the place. <laughs> everything was broken anyway, Brad. You just rebroke it. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> probably got it. I know. So let's talk about, I want to talk about that collective soul moment. Yeah. And I love the name collective soul. Yeah. It's interesting, right? Mm -hmm. It's a phrase that is, says unity in it, mm -hmm. like a good brand should be. Yeah. If you were to articulate the difference when you played that frat party and three songs and shut down versus the feeling you had when you walked on that stage at Newport, if you were to compare that to different brand moments, how would you describe those? Defining? Yeah. So you ask the brand question, you're kind of, so it's like, it changes the entire moment. It changes the entire presentation yeah. because you are now out in front of people who have no idea and you're selling, you're selling yourself, you're selling your music. The moment the lights the go moment, on. Yeah. The guys at the party already know who we are. Right, right. It's a different know, vibe. It's a total different vibe. So the, the level of professionalism jumps up. Right, right. The level of anxiety jumps up. Right. The level of expectation jumps up. Because what if we suck? I was, I was like, we got, oh my God, I hope they like us. What, what happened? They throw beer bottles at us? You right. Know, I don't know. Right. And they didn't, and it didn't happen because we rose up to the occasion. That's what yeah. I was yeah. driving at. Yeah. Because yeah. the expectation was set, like a good business, right. you rise up. That's what they say, the same thing. We hear this in sporting analogies, but really it comes from, you guys already had the confidence. You hadn't been pushed far enough to know that you had it. Right. No, we didn't know we had it. That's my point. Right, right. That's my point. Yeah. But but the the experience, yep. and we talk about this all the time in in you know design thinking or in in even business design, is one thing a brand should do mm -hmm. is push you to that next critical moment that you don't know you can get to. That's right. And music and collaboration, whether it's an agency that we both own, or whether it's a band that we both had similar relationships in, mm -hmm. it's the same tribe. Mm -hmm. It's the same kind of thing. Concept is there. Right, yeah. ex exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it's where you place it. So with that being said, today, when you look back 
on your time in music, if you look back now with the, you know, some of the artists, the great, I like a lot of some of the new stuff that's coming out and I still like some of the old stuff. Is there a band that just speaks to you personally, not just a creative spot, your agency, but just speaks to you personally that you almost turn to as a mantra in your life? Mm. Personally, I've always been a U2 fan from the age of 14. Yeah. You know, I think that music, and I I can't put my finger on other than the fact that it was just uh, lyrically, musically, it was uh, about something always, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I think that, you know, looking at that and and thinking through how that kind of influenced me when I was younger Mm -hmm. and I was like, wow, these guys stand for something. Right. Most of the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's a little different now, I guess, but, but, you know, they're older. But at the time, you know, they they used music to speak. They used music to talk to people. Right. And so that was inspirational and still is, you know, those those types of artists, I think in general, you know. That's like the same thing. If I had to answer, mine would be The Clash. Yeah. And it's because it meant something. Right. Right. And it's not that they, every song, I mean, God, if you knew some of the names of the Toll songs that didn't make it to the floor. I mean, I had a song called Taffeta. What the hell's wrong with it? But, but something isn't working right here. The next right. one's going to call Aunt Nancy. What are you doing, Sir Coney? So all of us lose our way sometimes, yeah. you know? Yeah. But this idea of meaning and purpose. Yes. You, we, we've got some mutual clients that we do marketing and branding for, and we've got separate clients that I sometimes talk to you about from a marketing point, and you talk to me about some of your clients on a brand point. And the one thing that I think would be interesting for people to know about is just not, you know, banding and branding and business building, which we're going to continue to talk about. But the idea is the difference between marketing and branding and how they're complementary, but they are not the same thing. Mm-hmm. We both were inspired by similar bands that, you know, created this purpose we knew that their music was purposeful. Right. Or, you know, the passion of Strummer, I certainly felt it. And the passion of Bono, I certainly felt it. And it unified you and I in different ways. We didn't know each other then. But we found the same brand attribute mm-hmm. in music to become our band attribute. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. What do you think, how important today in business building, taking art aside and music aside, how important is purpose that a brand or a business has a purpose how important do you think that is for consumers or clients when they're making a buying decision? I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I think it's more important now than it ever has been because I think people have the ability to research way more than they did. Think about 15, 20 years ago when we were marketing products. I mean, people would pretty much just believe what you told them. Oh, whatever they handed me, whatever. Yeah, say like, hey, this is the greatest thing ever. Great, I'll buy it, right? right? What's this called? Frisbee? Yeah, right. (laughs) Here's a great new coffee. Sure, I'll buy it. You know, now people want to understand more the meaning behind the product, right. which right. is why I think you see more emotion in brands. Now. Right. You see more, we do this or we, you know, whether it's they, you know, make donations to charity on the behalf of the sales of the brand or they donate a pair of shoes for every shoes that they, right. that Tom's, they make. Tom's yeah, shoes. I mean, those are all things that allowed those, those companies to provide more of a story behind right. their product. It's right. not just a pair of shoes anymore. Right. There's a whole story behind it. Right. And I think that's where the purpose becomes so important 
because people will take the time to look up and to research and understand, you know. And, and you're saying that they will not make a buying decision. They may not choose your brand mm -hmm. if you aren't at least participating in some community purpose or some purpose greater than your product. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think, I think by and large, I, I mean, it's hard to generalize that to say, you know, I mean, there's, everybody's going to make a spontaneous purchase, you know, for, at some point. In but we want to be part of that consideration. And right. to do that, right. you got to have a purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You got to have a purpose. And what's the meaning of your product? What benefit does your product right. benefit? How does it right. benefit me? How does it benefit others? Because I want to know other people too right. that use your product. Right. What, what's the benefit to them? Right, that human connection. Correct, correct. Yeah. As we've talked about many times, the human connection of the brand is very, very important. And that's what brings me back again to music. When I was thinking about this, I used to think about this idea of doing this a podcast like this, mm -hmm. uh, this idea of banding, which is a term that I came up with, right? It's literally what happens in a band. It's mm -hmm. a collaborative purpose bigger than yourself. It's banding. It is, yeah. You know, the idea of, of branding, but of course does that, and you're paid to do that for companies. And to your point that they have to have some kind of purpose, I think it is a cost of entry now. And it wasn't before. It wasn't, no. It wasn't. Yeah, you could create something and go out and market it and sell it, mm -hmm. you know, because there was only five ways to get to somebody. Right. What were now they? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's... Meta. Right. Meta, it's meta ways. It's just infinite. And see, I love this because we're having this conversation. Because you're coming from a, from a marketing point of view. Absolutely. right away, you're looking at the distribution lines. We stay more on the purpose line. Right. And we uh, have partnerships with agencies like yours that say, okay, amplify... Through yes. your distribution lines, what we just created for the brand. Couldn't be better said. Yeah, we are the transmission. Right. We are the wires that take the power of the brand out to the masses. Because, and we have to understand what all those channels are. And the other thing about purpose I think is important is that people now have a greater ability than ever to provide feedback. Right. There's no hiding. There's no hiding. They can get to you on social media. They can get to oh, you. Oh, they can bring down the brand. They, they can, can bring down the brand. Not just to you personally. They That's can bring right. down the brand. Right. So everything matters. Everything you say. We probably overthink sometimes. But you have to. It's because almost a paranoid it's a, it's place. A caution, it's a caution. Right. Yeah. Because right. you don't want, you're like, you know, you look at a line in a post and you're like, God, what if somebody takes that the wrong, wrong way? way? Or what if somebody right. takes it this way? Or right. could that be? Because we're kind of overanalyzing and almost paralyzing it sometimes, you know, yeah. but you have to think that way, I think. Yeah. In, in an earlier podcast, we had uh, Stacey Board, the CEO for Shadowbox sure. Live on. Yeah. I was asking her, is it difficult for her organization to find the space, the discipline in the organization to do branding, to execute branding. And she said, and again, every client's different, but she said, no, it's easy for us because we knew we had to do it and we're collaborative anyway. So if it's a song, a brand, a sketch comedy, rock and roll, dance, we attack it knowing we don't know all the answers. We know how to iterate and collaborate. Mm -hmm. Some more stoic and old school businesses don't have that nimble thought process That's right. to be able to do that. Do you find, and so I find that a problem with branding, you'll hand them something mm -hmm. and it becomes a boat anchor instead of an activation tool through marketing. Mm -hmm. How can you be certain that all the plans you lay and all the strategies, and I've seen some of your marketing action plans, mm -hmm. the, the thoroughness that you guys do, uh, to help activate brands we create, and I appreciate it. Do you think sometimes when you hand that baton off, the organization hasn't made the room, the space, whether it's in their philosophy, belief system, or inside the company to actually activate it? I think so. So we've evolved. We we used to see that happen. Uh, you know, we, we'd work with somebody on a strategy and we'd say, all right, and that there would be all this energy 
and I'd check back in with the client a couple of months later and like, how's that marketing strategy going? How, how are things going? Oh, well, we're, we're, we're working on it. And then we've adjusted our process and our methodology to fix that problem because... And how, it, how are you doing that? Well, we're giving the client a tools or more sets of tools to help monitor that. So you mentioned a marketing action plan. I mean, those are important. We didn't do those like that just even four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. So that was a switch into saying, hey guys, we're writing these marketing plans and you're not really doing anything with right. them. For one reason or another, a lot of times it's just capacity. Right. You know, there's That's just, what I mean by space. Yeah, there's just, the intentions are all there. Right. And the plan is good. It right. just needs to be executed. Right, right. But because of the way companies are structured and because people are stretched so thin, it's very hard to find somebody um, who already has 75 other responsibilities to just automatically say, okay, I'm going to be the I'm going to be the marketing champion now and I'm going to go out and I'm going to execute this and I'm going to be, where's, where are they supposed to find time to do that? So, so a lot of the companies, I think, you know, when we started seeing that happen is when mm-hmm. we said, all right, how do we fix this problem? Because that's not our end goal. Right. You know, our end goal right. is to create it and activate it, not right. just create it. Right. And I know that you are personally and professionally very conscientious of what you put out that you want to see it activate. It's, it's, it keeps, it's not about it, it keeps me up at night. It I know. Does. I know it does. It does. Yep. And it I does. can say that. Yep. It's not about billable hour mm-hmm. with you guys. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. I love that. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's truly passion and want and just desire to see somebody, you know, take the, take the tools that we co-create right. with them and implement them for better. Yeah. So, so you were with Promo West doing operations management there. Yeah. And then now you're a principal at an agency with everyday changing, many personalities. You and I live it. What do you love about it? Is it addicting and what do you love about it? It is. It's addicting. I can tell you that people ask that question before, what do you love about your job? My, my favorite part of what I do and what we do is the diversity of people, companies, thought processes, whatever you want. Right. We talked last night. We're switching gears. You were on a SWAT run last night. I was on a a video. I (laughs) I spent nine hours with a SWAT team yesterday, (laughs) embedded with the SWAT team. It was incredible. I'm still exhausted, by the way. You look (laughs) good. I think every Thursday, (laughs) we both go out with a SWAT team. (laughs) And we come back and do a podcast. We come back and we do a podcast. I love it. Let's do it. So you love the variety and the exhilaration. That's the most thing. But yeah. but so there's that part, and you know that's one one a you know one b is finding the you know, kind of magic moment or magic formula when you see a client's eyes just sort of light up. Yeah, and you say to them, you know, I have a client that I've been working with that's kind of new, and I, I we did a lot of research and we we had a lot of made planning meetings, and I said, you know what? the biggest problem you have is right now, I said, you're spending all of your marketing dollars to remind people who already know you and already are in your backyard that you're still there. Right. And they said, God, you're right. I said, any reason why? You know, you, that's just always how we've done it. So when that light goes on, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're you know, opening up you know, a whole new playing it's field. It's just, you know, I see it, but they're so close to it. You see this all the time. I know. They're so close to it. They can't. They, Subjectivity. They, they, they just don't realize it, right. Right? right? So you get into that moment. I love that moment. when right. you, That moment of discovery. Right. And the light goes on. You're like, oh, you're so right. How do we fix that? I love it. We're going to help you fix it. When I talk about brand, as you and I, again, have done a number of projects together on this, I talk about brand being, you know, the art of business. The journey points that give insight to that art is marketing. 
all the data, all the structure. So the world, as it's seen, whether it's a Super Bowl ad, that's a branded moment, right? Mm -hmm. But there's tons of on-track marketing data structure behind that. In your worldview, how do you see marketing and brand? Uh, you refer to our agency for our expertise. We refer to your agency for your expertise. How do you see that complement? That's my worldview of how mm -hmm. those things, those complement. Because we were in the marketing business when I first got in the ad right, business. Right, yep. We just decided to make an artistic change to stay in the brand differentiation business. How do you see those two disciplines working together? I mean, they they have to coexist, obviously, um, and, and it's incredible. It's important that they coexist. But I've always seen that marketing is the is the is the conduit and the activator of the brand and the messages that have been. So, so the brand is created. It's the vision. It's the it's the differentiation. It's the essentially the backbone of the of the product, the service, or whatever the company is. Marketing's job is to is to transmit and translate that into levels that identified target audiences can relate to and understand, right? Um, to do it efficiently and to do it with as, as much content simplicity mm -hmm. because Elegant. You know, a customer doesn't want to necessarily listen to you gush about your brand. That's not necessarily what's going to make them buy your product. They want to feel it. They want to feel it. They want yeah. to experience. You said this earlier in our conversation about this experience, right? Yeah, yeah. The experience and how brand has changed into or, or transformed into being this overall experience, right? And so that's what marketing's job, that's where marketing is, 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 is challenging, I think, because you're taking, you want to say it all. Because it's so, it's, it's especially when, you know, it's a brand that's been beautifully done and you want to tell your whole story. But the truth of the matter is people don't have that much time to listen. So if you take, you know, take the Starbucks model, right? I mean, people are absorbed by their brand because of the experience that they have when they walk in there. And it's consistent mm -hmm. and it's friendly. And, you know, people probably can't tell you, uh, most people can't tell you about the, all of the overall, you know, brand strategies of Starbucks, but they do feel. They right. do feel the messaging and they feel the way that that company wants you to feel because they want you to come back. Yeah, exactly. Well said. And speaking of that brand or any brand, one of the topics I wanted to talk to you about is music as a platform. I mean, I remember when the first iPod came out and people were like, what is this? What has Apple done? As music guys, we thought it was as good as running water. It was. Yeah. It was. And yet... What, you know, the decision they're making there is to go after, you know, Apple decides to go after our our hearts and ignore our mind by creating a platform based on music. It was a computer, it was a personal computer company. That was the category they were in. Mm -hmm. And they switched to a new category to speak to our hearts, the idea of brand feel versus talking to us about technology. They didn't talk to us about technology. They gave us songs when we wanted them. That's right. That's feel. That's feel. That's the music business. That's the entertainment business. I, I have been thinking about this for quite some time. And I challenge this all the time. You know, is a CEO today a chief executive officer? Is he or she a chief entrepreneur officer? Is he or she the chief experience officer? And I would push it one level more. Is this individual, the chief entertainment officer, mm -hmm. even brands as, how do I say it, dry 
as a bank or an insurance company or a financial planner, mm-hmm. I guess people would say those are dry. Take no offense, Huntington. I love you. But they are done in an emotive way through their brand yeah. that makes them either entertaining or emotionally connective. Yeah. Right? Your Huntington example is great. Yeah. Because they, their whole new, was it welcome? Is yeah. that what it is? It's just so simple. But their, their commercials and their messaging is bringing in all this, this uh, human emotion. Feeling. Human emotion. Yeah. Yeah, and so we 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 want to bank with them because not because we think they're the best bank. We think they feel the way we feel. Right, right. And they, you know, care. And so with that being said, you brought up Starbucks. Starbucks, genius idea. Let's quadruple the cost of coffee, put in comfortable furniture for something called dwell time, right? Rename coffee people. Baristas. Baristas. And and tell them that we're glad to see them. Mm-hmm. That's four fifty, right? <laughs> insane, insane, right? People, insane business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Right. But it's genius because it's all about the brand. It is, yeah. which is all centered around the consumer. Right. So when we think about platform, that's a that's a platform. Then mm-hmm. that 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 on premise is a platform. Then you've got Google, you know, obviously using a platform. You've got Amazon using a platform. You've got Apple using a platform. But you and my clients are not Amazon and Apple, yeah. and right? Most aren't. But, but yeah. most aren't. But the future, even Slack as an application that we use, mm-hmm. right? It's unbelievable. It's not, I don't know how big the company is. I think it's doing very, very well. But let's just say it's not Apple yet. But what it is serving is totally centered around me and the team to be able to use Slack. What do you think the challenges are for some local brands that you and I do together, we do a regional brand that's going national together. As they do that, what needs to happen? They have to devise a platform. They can't just be a thing, a service. Mm-hmm. So what do you do as a marketer? Because mm-hmm. I think that's a challenge. I don't think it, I think it's a less of a challenge for a brand guy like me to dream mm-hmm. and say, well, I can create a platform. Mm-hmm. I'm going to deliver a realistic platform, but it might take us five years to get there. How do you face that challenge? Where today's business model does have, it's a little bit more complex, right? It's not just opening a dress shop on this corner anymore. They're all gone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Penzone, great example of taking the salon business to an entire other level, right? With their portfolio and platform of services. What do you do when you're faced with brands that that want you to do marketing, but maybe they don't fully understand this idea of a platform and how do you, how do you face that and how do you how do you overcome that challenge yeah it's it's a it's a great question and uh i i think a lot of it comes in that exploration with the client and trying to identify and working to identify what they do i always say in a strategy meeting i need to leave here knowing what you do that nobody else can do so that's differentiation then it's differentiation because I don't, there's too many me too's. I don't care what product category you're in, right. unless you're in something that's really brand new, in, including and rock edge. and roll. Yeah, I mean, including rock how many me too's? I mean, I, right. you know, you turn on the. Sometimes it's hard to tell one artist from another. Sometimes right. if you didn't know the names, right? right? And there's no right, wrong, or indifferent in that. It's just the way it is. But and I sit down with clients, and you know, a lot of times you have to really dig for the answers because they don't sometimes always know themselves what it is that's different. So that's where. Together, you know, we can help them and say, all right, well, you just said that. I had a client, I have a, I have a smaller 
uh, makes incredible handcrafted knives. And we were in a meeting and I said, you're just listed off all your competitors. These big German knife companies, right? Mm -hmm. That make these fancy eyes. You guys all charge about the same. And I said, just cut loose and tell me what you do different. And they said, powdered steel. I said, what's that? Right. It's the best steel in the world. Right. No one uses it. Right. I said, why aren't you saying that? Right. This is like an episode of Mad Men. It, it, it is. I said, why aren't right. you saying that? I said, right. We don't know. <laughs> right. I said, Isn't that crazy? It's the best steal in the world. And, and you just they sat here spent... and told me, you spend premium money. You spend... I was getting ready to say, they it's might a, spend... It, yeah, they spend a lot of money on that steel. Yeah, say it's, say it's a... And on the advertising of something that they're not calling by the right term that differentiates no. it. No. Now, maybe we don't call it powdered steel right. in a marketing room because right. I don't want to have to educate. But whatever the case is, we found a differentiator and we right. said, we found... Okay, you use. I could build an entire messaging platform around powdered right. steel. I and why do you it. use powdered steel? Right? <laughs> right? I, I didn't know what powdered steel was five minutes ago, but you just gave me the light just went on. Right. And you said right. this, and then they this said, meeting's over. This we meeting's got over. It. We got. It. That's all I need to know. I got one differentiator. <laughs> you know. So, the, but, but to your point, uh, where you say, how do you create a platform, or right. how do you create something that's different? because see now that's that's different. But now we have to create an atmosphere and environment around powdered. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a whole other level, right? Yeah. I said, do you realize what we can do just with that message right. alone? Right. right. I said, what other nuggets you got tucked away that right. I don't There's know There's probably a lot. Well, yeah. in my experience, I've been doing this 20, 25 years, branding, and they're everywhere. But there's a great book, I can't remember the gentleman's name now, and it's called The Invis... Or a concept, but it's called The Invisible Obvious. Those things that are obvious to everyone else, we've never seen them. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's like when a friend, a good friend of you, I always say that I know my good friends because they tell me the things I can't see. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I don't need well the, said. I don't need well the said. bad friends yeah. around me. That don't tell, tell me I look good all the time. <laughs> tell me I got well, that tooth, hasn't happened. Tell me I got tooth. Well, I can understand. No, <laughs> that hasn't happened in a decade. No, but my point is I don't want to, you know, I want people that can point out the things that they that that I can't see because I'm too close to it. That's mm-hmm. your whole subjectivity, objectivity. Right. right. Okay. So in this client, you find out this differentiator of powdered. So now you're on a roll. So you got a message point. You got a data point. Got a data point. And you got a differentiator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and not every brand needs to be a platform. But how do you create? How do you? Let's say you do that. And I know I think I know who this client is. You're not far enough along to know what the answers of this is. But mm-hmm. let's just say let's use this as a as a, an example. Let's say that you go down this road and a year from now, Don, that's a huge success, mm-hmm. our powder kniving process. Mm-hmm. And now they say, wow, this really worked and it added $6 million to the bottom right. line, whatever it is. Yeah. What would you do? Do you go back and create more products and a line extension around that concept or do you build a platform? That's my question to you as a marketer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's that's an interesting question because that's that, that's a real point where you say, you know, because you're going to reach a saturation point at you some are. point where the powdered steel, you know. Isn't going to hold it up. Yeah. We have another client uh, that my business partner works on, Australian Dream, arthritis, back cream, you know, and you know, they've, they were kind of almost a victim of that. You know, mm-hmm. they were the single category player for a long Forever. time. Nobody had this. Now there's like 25 Success products. Breathe. And we have a thing called the internet. Yeah. Right? Right. And when they did that and they own the channel, they own the product, the category, the channel. Yeah. It's, it was incredible. You know, it's, 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 it's to, you know, they, they look at their life cycle and the product. Right. But, um, so I think you have to say at some point, you know, I, I always feel that there has to be always that forward thinking. So if we're working on 
powdered steel right now. Well, what's our what, next? What's what's the game that yeah. comes after yeah. that? And yeah. because if we just rest everything on powdered steel at some point, somebody else is going to say, well, we use powdered steel too. Right. Or we use right. like graphite steel and that's even better than powered steel or something. Right. You know, they're going to come, right. gonna, you're going to get one up somewhere. So, okay, great. What's the, once we exhaust that and once we play that, what's next? Right. You know, and that may be you have to invent something. You Maybe you have to invent a platform. Or maybe you have another product that can sustain that. Right. Or it's product innovation. But it, do you think when Apple was creating, when Apple made the move, when they only owned 5% of, or 4%, I think it was back then, of the computer market share, mm-hmm. you know, when our little iPod came out, do you think they made that move knowing they were going to build a platform behind music? Or do you think they made the move as a product? I think they probably made the move as a product. Initially, it would be my guess because they probably identified or they may have identified that there is a gap or there's this ability to have music be more mobile, right, for somebody. So I don't want to have to lug my CD player around everywhere in my stack of CDs in the back of my car or in my thing. And they said, hey, we ha- we, how can we fix this? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we make music more mobile? So maybe they did it as a product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, and do you know the answer? I don't know the okay. answer. I've never read any. I haven't studied. I haven't read a study on it or reviewed it. I think that both answers are right. I think they knew that it was a way. I think they. I think they did what they're great at, which is doing the best in one thing. And there's nothing more emotional than music. So if I can influence you with music by giving it to you where you want it, when you want it, how you want it, right? I can make a product downstream from that, like a laptop. Right. <laughs> that laptop, and, and, and of course, you know, I'm sure we could do some research and, and think about this, but I think both things happen. I think they developed a hell of a product knowing all along that music was a platform. It's a, it's a gateway drug. Music's a gateway drug. Oh, yeah. Right. right. And I think, Into everything. And I think Apple and a lot of good companies are, are, are very, very good at identifying needs right. of their of their of their clients, right. um, and if they're not a client, how do we make them a client? Right. By solving a problem, right? Right. You know, I mean, or I, or yeah. gifting them, or solving a problem of. If you think about it, having music that wasn't mobile was ridiculous. To reinforce what you just said, I think that, and I don't just want to stay with Apple, but brands, you know, they they research and assess those needs. And, and fill in a solution. I also think, though, sometimes um, brands are only about solving and they're not emotional and they wonder why they can't grow, mm-hmm. right? And you probably know that more of that than me as a marketer, as a expert marketer, that you, they're always pushing on you mm-hmm. to do more, do more, do more. Right. <clears throat> Is there ever a time when you have to come back and say, your brand doesn't resonate. There's nothing we can do. Yeah. Or we can do these things, but you've plateaued. Yeah, it's either, it could be a plateau situation. Uh, it could be a product that's, uh, you know, um, the market's saturated with that product. Yeah. You know, and they're, they're, and, looking, and, and, they're looking for a lifeline in and marketing. And, and the problem is the life cycle's over. Right, life cycle's over. Right. You know, so again, I still go back to, we always still go back to, can we find something that makes your, you know, I don't know, widget better than the 5,000 other widgets that are out there. Maybe we can't, you mm-hmm. know, and it's at that point um, where, you know, you say, um, okay, we, you, sometimes you have to look at it and say, all right, well, we've got to figure out how to make this, you know, I don't, 
we don't have necessarily the, the tools that we need. Yeah, I can go out and buy. We can go out and buy a bunch of stuff and buy a bunch of media and put a bunch of other message, messages together. But you, your point is interesting because I feel like a lot of times the companies that we do encounter with that are lacking that brand, that emotional brand connection. I think that's what you're driving at. Mm-hmm. It, that does, that's not there. Yeah. That's non-existent. Our, 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 you know, our... Our, our yep. current project, you know, is is you know kind of a you know, an example of how we're transitioning someone who was I don't want to, an organization I don't want to say commodity but kind of they're going to be the best in the business. Yeah, and, and because of the vision. Yes, right? and a lot of that is the vision that you know many clients already have the vision. It's your and I's job to help them articulate right. that vision, extract it. Extract it, and, and that's why I use the word unearthing all the time. Because you know, you're unboxing unearthing. We don't, we, you and I aren't creating it. I mean, sometimes we can do uh, very highly strategic, effective marketing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can do great positioning of a brand, right? But um, we can't. It's disingenuous for us to just invent stuff. We've got to make sure it's going to work for the company. Whether again, whether it's marketing or. Or brand, and you got to have everybody's buy-in. That's what you know. You you're so you're so good at, and your process is so good at is is, you know, really getting everybody's perspective um, through, you know, your unique discovery process and how you get to that. And I think that that's, you know, if if marketing or some uh, president comes out and says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna start this," you know, and and you and you you don't get the buy-in from the organization. And you've been, you and I have talked off mic. We've both been there where, hey, I want this initiative. Mm-hmm. This is the attribute I want to push for 2020. Mm-hmm. But nothing in the brand, it's MVV, mission, vision, value, yeah. uh, doesn't align with it. No. So it would be unethical for us to say, okay, and start to do it. Right. It just doesn't work. And you know as well as I, you know better than I do, way better than I do, that the brand is every part of a company, Right. It's everything. It's the name tag. It's the button. It's I, I don't care what's the shirt. It's the presentation of the employee. And if somebody doesn't have the background and education to talk about what it, the initiative of the company it's is, it's always the money. It's always the money. It's always the money. You got to Everybody's got to believe. Okay. Last thing we wrap up here. Sure. Tell me what your biggest challenge today is. Um, away from music, but just the idea of being creative and staying creative. How is an agency? I mean, to me, I, I have, I am worried about the process of curation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But now if things like things are, are, are copied, curated, minced and diced and sliced, and let me get that done in five seconds. And an ad agency's job is to not necessarily first make money for the company it serves, though of course it should. It's got to give them great creative that separates them from the fact through a chance to be bought or purchased their service, right? Yes. yes. I mean, ultimately, great creative, I still believe in great creative is my point. So do we. Do you think there is a threat, and how do you guys overcome this in your agency? Do you think there is a threat because everything is ubiquitous, we can Google anything. We can share anything. We post everything. Everything can be sliced and diced, like I'm saying. Do you think that there's parts of that that, that a great creative department and an agency needs to be aware of so they can stay 
pure in their creative approaches to those who are paying them their clients. My biggest fear with, with creativity right now, at least from our perspective, is the expectation of the client of the turnaround time. That is very difficult. You are correct. And, you know, there's because we've all gotten so accustomed to having things quickly. Um, you mm. probably remember as well as I do, you know, you would sometimes have at least a few weeks to put yeah. a campaign or a program. No, it's, or something I'm calling you on together. Monday now and give it to me on Thursday. Or tomorrow. Right. That that happens on a that's weekly basis. I'm, that's why I'm not in your business. And sometimes you want to say, okay, but... I worry that it compromises me too. The integrity of of our true ability. Yeah. So what do you do? Yeah. So we bring more people in. If I can't, so have less time, more brains. Yeah. If I can't have more time, then I have to be more collaborative. Okay. And so instead of saying, uh, you know, I'm going to put Team X on this project because I've got some time to work on it, I've got to put Team X, Y, and Z. You know, and we're not that big, so that's like. Eight people, right? You know, but 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 for, the, but but for your resources, but for our it's resources, a lot. it's a lot, right? And and if it's if it's important enough, you'll do it. We'll do the whole. We'll we'll pull everybody together, right? And we'll say, guys, this is all hands on deck. Yeah, I need yeah. ideas fast yeah. because they've requested this by this date, and the only way we're going to do it about it is to do it together, right? And that works. Um, and you know, I, I guess thankfully we don't have to do that a great deal mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of many times i guess what i'm saying that it happens occasionally so that's our way that's been our way of compensating that's great I because love it. the expectation the expectation is that you deliver the best at a fraction of the time that you used to be able to i do. know i know and that's the part that's hard yeah you know um for us as as marketers and as creative people yeah i know that's a that's well said and a great point the, our process as you know it we, we create platformatic brands so it's not an idea it's a brand. But to our, you know, to 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 our mutual client, I mean, that's taken a while to work on that, you know. But look how awesome. I know, I know. Where we're is, going, where right. we're going. So so the time is is still I don't know, you know, it's, it's valuable. It's, it's very hard. That's the hardest thing. That's well, the hardest to, thing the balance. Yeah. To uh share one thing with you in ending the podcast today. The uh Seth Godin had a great piece mm-hmm. a couple years back about curation and he said I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly, but something like rock and roll is dead. And his point was when Zeppelin went in and made physical graffiti or whatever, or Queen, as everyone saw when it was brought to the theater, they went out someplace and made a record like we did in Bearsville. And we were probably at the end of that when we were still making CDs. That first record came out in between vinyl and CDs and then CDs, the second one. But my point is we went away as artists for 90 days, 120 days, six months, and wrote an album. It's called an album. Right. Not a single. Yeah. How am I supposed to understand whether I love a brand, which is called a band in my world, on one song? So Seth Godin's point was rock and roll as we remember it, in that it is given to you like a novel or a novelette, we're reading comic book strips. Mm-hmm. This is Seth. No, I mean, he's right. Yeah, he's absolutely you're, you're, right. Yeah, he's absolutely right. right. Because now it's all about the next thing, the next thing. But I know bands that were way more talented than our band ever was. They grew up in this time period. They put a couple songs out by a label. 
But labels don't, they, they only sign us one song at a time. Let's see how it does on iTunes. That's right. And uh, would the Rolling Stones be the Rolling Stones? Never. Not enough time for, they got to, we had to, people died. There were drug addictions. We got a whole thing we got to go through here. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> we need a decade, at least. <laughs> at least. We got to cause mayhem. Right. We can't just put out a single. We can't, we can't fast track mayhem. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this wraps up another episode of getting the brand back together. And our special guest and a very good friend of mine, both personally and professionally, is Don Nixon with Creative Spot. Uh, Don, some of your insights today are wonderful, especially as you talk about creativity in the agency world today. I think your solution is great. And I think a lot of people getting into the agency business when you and I did a couple decades back could really heed that advice. If you don't have the time, add more minds, mm -hmm. right? right? I think that's a very, very smart thing. 